Welcome to the Off the Hook Arts Alcove podcast, a weekly dive into pieces by some of our beloved artists. The Arts Alcove features writers, musicians, painters, photographers, actors, and many more. We are so excited to have you joining us today. First, let's talk a little bit about Off the Hook Arts, which is a nonprofit based in Fort Collins, Colorado. Our mission is to provide free and low-cost music performance education for students in the community, while at the same time cultivating a love of the performing arts through public concerts featuring world-class musicians and interdisciplinary collaborations among the arts, sciences, and humanities. My name is Abby Jordan, and I'm the Arts Alcove Coordinator. Every semester, Off the Hook takes on a team of interns across several fields of study to help them explore what their field might look like in the sector of arts nonprofits. Our intern, Dominic Dakovich, is joined today by author Heather Hine to discuss her short story, The Day I Met Stephen King, that she submitted to the Arts Alcove. My name is Heather Hine, and I write and do a whole host of other jobs as well, but my new book uh, working title is uh, Death of the Bachelor, and it's about a homicidal orthopedic surgeon who's taking revenge on women for being jilted on The Bachelorette and some other jilts. So. Very nice. So yeah, uh, just tell me a little bit about yourself. What you been up to? Uh, since last March, um, I took a new job so that I could uh, spend some time writing. So I've been working on that. Um, I finished my manuscript for the first book in October and then participated in something called NaNoWriMo. Uh, that is a national novel writing month, the month of November. Writers of all across the world are encouraged to write a book. And uh, so I wrote another manuscript in the month of November, and that is a uh, supernatural horror uh, story. So I've been working on editing that in combination with editing and now promoting the other. So busy. So, yeah, busy. you're very busy. You're writing two yeah. books. Good for you. So, um, so the piece you submitted was The Day I Met Stephen King. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Well, uh, Stephen King is my favorite writer, but it seems like everybody's kind of on that bandwagon lately um, with all the movies that are coming out. Uh, but I've been a Stephen King fan since I was about 14 when I first read, uh, I guess it was The Talisman. Um, so obviously my dream would be to meet Stephen King, uh, but I didn't want to put that in there. So um, the gentleman, I seem to write men, middle-aged men pretty well. Uh, so it was his dream to meet Stephen King. And then when he did, had a heart attack, 
nearly died and eventually found out that he was just a character in a story and he wasn't behaving the way he should have. So all these strange things were happening to him. And he finally was just drawn to go to Maine, go to Bangor, meet Stephen King. He kind of broke into his property. And as soon as they shook hands, he went into this purgatorial netherworld where all of Stephen King's characters go after they've been killed off. So why do you think writing men is more your your style? I, I'm not really sure, but I think a lot of what I write just seems to capture, it seems to warrant itself from coming from a man. Um, I guess uh, it just seems to come naturally, although, you know, I have written some other things, but I think most of my first person stories are from the point of view of a dude. Do you, so. do you put yourself in that character or is this character completely separate from your own self? The characters are separate from myself. Some of them are based on, you know, some of my personality characteristics, but I find that when I write a story and I complete it, there's this, this mourning period because the characters and I have gotten so close. Um, you know, they're like friends of mine. And I feel the same way after I finish a really good book that's long. I'm like, I don't want it to end. These have been my friends for the last, you know, however many months it's been. And uh, when I abandon that work for a little while, there's an emptiness that happens. Yeah, well, I, well my favorite part of the short story was how the guy had to eat all healthy foods. I thought that was super funny. Very relatable. Yeah. So and I, uh, I don't write a ton of humor, but this story, um, it started out to be something scary and then it just became funny. Um, and that's one of the things I like about Stephen King's writing is that even in the most horrible situations, there's some way that he can inject this self-deprecating humor for the characters that I just love. So I like that style of writing. So you are in the horror genre. Would that mean you're a pessimist? Would that mean you have scary thoughts? Or what? why'd you pick horror as your genre? Um, I, I read a lot of horror and we write what we know for the most part. Um, but someone asked me, uh, where do you get your ideas from? And I wrote a whole blog post about it. And, you know, I'm not really dark, but when I see something happening, I can imagine how that could be twisted and turned into something that's horror or thriller related. So for example, if I saw a woman in a grocery store whose kid was acting up, my first thought is, I'm really sorry for you that you're having to do this and go through this because I have kids and I get how that works. My second thought is, kid, why are you giving your mom such a hard time? And then my third thought would be, I bet that's not even their mother and they're screaming because they're being kidnapped and they're going to be dragged into someone's basement and held and tortured. So I see those scenarios in everywhere in my everyday life. And I, I always can look at that twisted part of how it could be. So do, do your kids read your books? Uh, they haven't yet. They have read some of my short stories, though. Um, I have two 18 year olds and a 14 year old. The 14 year old hasn't read my stuff. And a lot of it is, um, well, the most current manuscript that I'm working on finding an agent for is way too sexually racy for me to feel comfortable with them reading it. So 
I also write erotica under a pen name. Um, don't ask me what it is. I was just about to ask. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I've gotten some of those published as well. Um, and I did have to take it down a couple notches for this particular book because some of it's just too explicit. So. So is it is it fun writing like that, or like do you get do you feel it when you write that, or? Oh yeah, um, I have, and this may be TMI, but I've turned my own self on writing some of this stuff. So. That means it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason that I even started all of this, I've always written and enjoyed it, but my husband started harping at me, and finally he's like, "I don't want presents for my birthday. I don't want presents for Christmas. I want short stories from you." I was like, okay. So that's kind of how it started. And then he kept encouraging me, you know, you really need to write a book. And I had never been able to conceive of a, a big story from beginning to end. Um, so I took some classes last year at how to structure a novel and the pieces that are included. And it's interesting because novels and even movies are very formulaic and they, the good ones, follow a certain pattern. Um, so that was really a revelation to me. Um, some people are called pantsers and then there's planners. So people who are pantsers write by the seat of their pants and they don't do a lot of prep. But I'm a very, very uh, meticulous prepper. So I have an outline that has all of the aspects of the story. Um, really clearly defined. And then uh, once I'm finished with that first write through, I mean, I don't go back, I don't look at anything, I just spew it. Um, then I go through the novel when I'm editing and I have index cards for every scene in the book. And then I'll write down, here's what is happening, here's what needs to change, you know, here's a plot hole. I mean, they're all over my wall. So I take this picture behind me down and every scene is plotted out on the wall. So how, how did you get your idea for your first book? Well, I used to actually work as a CNA many, many years ago on an orthopedics floor. And then at, in here in uh, Colorado, I worked for an orthopedics clinic for a while. And doctors can be very pompous and godlike. Um, so I thought, you know, what if a doctor decided to become homicidal? So the character in the story is a very, very meticulous man. He's neat, he's tidy, he's very attractive. I kind of had Michael Fassbender in mind if he had uh, played a character, if it was ever made into a movie. So my biggest hurdle was like, how is he going to kill people and stay tidy? I can't, I couldn't imagine him, you know, going out and digging a grave or chopping people into pieces. Um, so he, kills these women in a way that it seems like overdose. Uh, so there's this rash of overdose that are happening. Um, and the police aren't clued into the fact that it's homicide, but the first victim was a CNA on his floor and her roommate is like, no, she wouldn't have done that. She wouldn't have been doing drugs. She's too straight laced. And she's the one who's like investigating this on her own. And the police just continue to disbelieve, disbelieve her because she's kind of a mess. Um, she's an alcoholic. She has a lot of problems, you know, with one night stands and just she's a wreck. But we love her anyway. So in the world right now, there's a lot of 
crime against man against women and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. would you say your book is shedding a light on that or is it almost bringing it up too much like how do you feel about that like how'd you find that line um i think there's a lot of no offense you're a dude but there's a lot of toxic masculinity out there and um there's also a lot of judgment on women who are promiscuous or who have multiple partners and i wanted to show that Sometimes there's an ask, the reason for that can be past trauma, um, the lack of a strong father figure, or just a lack of a good relationship with a father figure. So there's a lot of factors that lead into why people are like that. And I wanted to kind of get rid of some of that judgment um, because the police are dismiss her so much based on the way she looks and the fact that she uh, had had a situation where she was at a frat house and, you know, she woke up and she'd been raped and she went to the police and they were like, well, what do you want us to do? You were at a frat house. What were you wearing? You know, that kind of stuff. So I wanted to shed the light on the fact that those assumptions are often wrong um, and, and false. So um, you talked a little bit about your artistic journey, but um, just to go through it again, what what is what does that look like uh well even in high school i was invited to participate in the iowa writers conference which is a huge huge thing um i edited our junior college newspaper um i have always written um at csu when i was there i helped uh incoming students write their entry essays and I also was a TA and uh, graded a lot of people's professional work. So I've always been involved in writing of some kind, um, but I definitely enjoy the creative stuff a lot better than the, the business writing and the technical stuff. So you started as an editor? Uh, I started as a, a creative writer in high school and then I went into editing. Um, I even edited, I realized this not too long ago, I was the editor of my elementary school newspaper so this has been like a lifelong long, long journey yeah. for you yeah and, and i've always been a voracious reader um especially in the winter time when i'm not gardening and working outdoors i allow myself to just cozy under the blankets and uh spend most of the winter hibernating and reading so do you feel a sense of relief when you finish a book or do you get do you get sad because you are done talking to all those characters It's both. Um, So when I finished NaNoWriMo, I had a goal for myself that if I finished by my daughter's 18th birthday, which is November 28th, that I would go with her and get a tattoo. Um, So I did finish two days early. When I set a goal, I'm pretty good about completing it. So I got a Stephen King related tattoo. Because the horror novel uh, is definitely takes some of that flavor from Stephen King's work. Um, One of my favorite books by him is called Duma Key, and it's a fictitious place, but it's based on Casey Key in Florida. So I actually visited Casey Key in Sarasota three times to do research for this book um, because I wanted it to be authentic. And I'm really drawn to this place. It's, It's a quiet, peaceful, community um and it's full of like famous people 
uh, but the people who live there don't make a big deal out of it. You know, they're very uh, respectful of their time and their space. And so I thought, um, why not write a story about a writer who lives in Casey Key? So actually speaking on that, um, in the short story, you kind of said some of the places where Stephen King wrote about was kind of mundane. Um, but you don't feel that way. So have you seen those places you wrote about? Like, how do you feel about those actual places? Well, I, I grew up in Iowa and I spent a lot of time in Iowa City, which is the place that my first novel is based. Um, I feel like if I'm going to write about something, I have to know the place. I need to know the setting. I need to know those tiny details, like where would somebody go for lunch? Um, what's the name of the street in the shopping district? Um, what are the street names? Because I want it to be authentic and I want the readers from that area to think that's my place. You know, this is where I live. And um, I wanted it to resonate with the reader so that they would feel like they could be immersed in this story and be a participant in it. So what inspires you the most while you're writing? Um, I went to a conference and there was a woman named Lisa Hawker there and she's a thriller writer and she explained that when she writes um, she starts with throwing a pebble at the protagonist and then she throws a rock and then another rock and then a bigger rock and um, relentlessly uh, torturing basically these characters and putting up these insurmountable um, obstacles. And Stephen King in the book on writing mentioned that you need to let your writer know that you are willing to do anything and everything to your characters. So I took that to heart and my poor protagonist in The Death of the Bachelor uh, endures a lot in order for her to overcome her personal flaw. And um, so there's an external conflict and an internal conflict in most good stories. And she has both of those. So she's trying to get over her feelings of worthlessness and um, her powerlessness, which I, I have ex experienced in my past. Um, so in order for her to actually overcome her situation, she has to overcome her own personal flaw first. So that's like the catharsis that she experiences. So in this book, we're more focused on the woman than we are the, the murdering doctor? Yes, it's all from her perspective. It's third person. Um, so it, it is from her perspective, except for the interludes that involve the doctor and his victims. Uh, those are told from the victim's point of view. So, so they're all smitten with this doctor and vying for his attention and thrilled when they get it. And he takes them on these dates kind of like you would even in the bachelorette and then uh he seduces them and then that's their last their last ride and they don't even know that it's happening so it's i wanted it to be uh, a clean death that he could walk away from and be you know not suspected because no one suspects an upstanding member of the community of being capable of any crimes like that Oh, of course. Yeah. So when you're writing, you've done first person and third person. So do you like the knowing everything that's going on? Or do you like the idea of 
only knowing what one person's going through. Well, I think sometimes third person is more difficult than first person because even though it's an omniscient point of view, you still need to write from one person's perspective. So you can see everything that's happening, but you keep it from one person's kind of perspective. So you can't do, it's called head hopping. And some authors are able to do that effectively, but as a new writer, I didn't want to take that chance. Um, and there are times in uh, the manuscript where I had slipped into other people's heads. So when I sent it to my editor, she had to point those things out to me. And she's like, oh, you've got, you know, the sidekick's thoughts in here and you need to, to dial that back and you can't really include that because it's head hopping and it confuses the reader a lot. So but it's difficult. Oh, writing a book is very difficult, yes. Um, um, so how'd you hear about Off the Hook Arts? Um, oh, someone in one of my writer's groups had mentioned it. Um, so I looked it up and I was like, well, this is a great opportunity because I know a lot of musicians locally and I know a lot of artists locally. And so I've been promoting this on my Facebook page um, so that other artists who aren't able to you know, show their work or play in front of an audience have an opportunity to still share, you know, their music and their art. And I was thrilled that you opened it up to writers. I thought that was great. Yeah. So how, how did you meet all these artists and all these other people? They're just friends. Um, I actually got connected with a huge friend group. We used to have Wednesday night dinner, so we would all get together. 20 people up, you know, or so and have dinner every Wednesday, but then people had kids and got busy with jobs and life. Um, so that kind of has gone away a little bit, but a lot of those people were just creative. My brother's a musician, my daughter's a musician. Um, so lots of creative people in my circle of friends. That's awesome. So you talk about the Wednesday night dinners, obviously that's probably not happening anymore because of COVID. So how, right. what have you been doing during quarantine? Well, it's fascinating because I had an injury in October that took me out of work and I needed surgery, but couldn't get it until January because the orthopedic surgeon uh, was booked out. <laughs> so um, I was on crutches until February from October to February and I was at home. And I, when COVID happened and everybody, you know, sequestered themselves, it wasn't a big change for me because I had already been at home for all this time. And I had just been released for work when everything really shut down. Um, so it, it wasn't a big change for me. And uh, when everybody was home and couldn't go to work, uh, we had a lot of themed dinners at my house. So we had a casino night where we, draped everything in like red sheets and blankets. And we had a huge poker table out and we had what my daughter calls bougie trays. So uh, that was pretty cool. And then um, we did Frank's fish sack shack one night. So that was fun. Um, I made different kinds of fish and, you know, really made it like it would have been a restaurant. So we, we did a lot of restaurant nights and uh, my youngest daughter did carnival night. So we did corn dogs and uh, funnel cakes and, you know, the lemonade that they sell at the fair. And then she did some games that we could all participate in. She had tickets. She had uh, money with her face on it. 
And then um, she had rides and I was like, how are you gonna do a ride at home? But she got a YouTube video of a roller coaster and the rolling desk chair. So you'd sit in the desk chair and she would steer you uh, in whatever direction the roller coaster was going. So I thought that was brilliant. And then she would put on a video of a Ferris wheel and she had the piano bench sitting in front of the computer so you could ride on the Ferris wheel. So that was cool. So, you know, that's kind of how we tried to make our time at home interesting. But then when I wasn't cooking, I was definitely writing. So have you felt a lack of anything during quarantine, like a lack of curiosity or creativity? No, uh, I don't think so. Part of me wants to write something from and include some of the aspects of the pandemic, but um, I'm kind of waiting to see how it pans out first. But I do have an idea for a dystopian novel based on several plagues that have gone through and the government decides to just sequester everyone and gives them like a an artificial, uh, like a robot that they can put their consciousness into and go out. Uh, and then strange things happen, but we'll see about that one. I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm ready uh, to embark on that journey quite yet. But so, I do have an idea for the next NaNoWriMo, so I'm pretty psyched about that. Oh, that's sweet. So what do you think the world will look like in five to ten years with your type of thinking? Well... I don't want to get too political, but I am very concerned about the future, um, particularly for my kids and what kind of world uh, they're going to end up in. I I'm kind of uh, pessimistic about the future at this point. Um, when we had kids, I thought to myself, I, you know, we thought for a while, why would we bring kids into this world? It's so awful. And so, but then we decided maybe our kids will make a difference. And then um, when 9-11 happened, I was eight months pregnant. So that was quite jarring um, for us to know that now we're bringing a kid into this world. And I didn't realize that it was going to get worse, but it's worse. And uh, I think that it won't matter who's elected in November. I have some fears that there will be a lot of unrest in the country. So I'm, I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so for, for new artists, new writers, you kind of talk about taking classes, but what's your number one piece of advice when you sit down at the computer and you're gonna start writing? Um, if you're writing, just write it, um, plan it out, and then just go. Don't look back, uh, don't go back and edit, don't go back and change things unless it's a dire necessity. And just get that out of your system and then set it aside for a month and don't look at it. Because when you come back to it, it's more like a brand new story. And one thing that I did that was excruciatingly helpful was my husband read me the manuscript out loud both of them. So I could hear uh, when I had repetitive language too much, or I was repeating phrases or um, was taking phrases from writers that I love that have just ended up in my lexicon, like that I say a lot. I had to remove those because I didn't want it to be plagiarism. And then I did notice some plot holes and we had to fix those. So writing it all out, 
editing and then have somebody read it to you, I think is essential. Yeah, so your husband seems like a very positive supporter for you. Yes, um, he's my champion. <laughs> how, how has that helped you be able to write not only one book, but two in such a quick time? He's been supportive of giving me time. Um, I have my own writing office that I'm sitting in now, and uh, my name's on the door, and no one comes in here without knocking. It's not even at home. It's in a completely different place. So I'm not distracted by, oh, I gotta do the dishes or the laundry needs attention or this or that. When I'm in here, I'm free to just write and be undisturbed. So that's been a gift that he's been able to give me is that time. Do you have any weird ways of writing or like any weird things you do to write, like early writer, late writer? You know, there's used to be all those authors who did all those crazy things. Do you have anything like that? Um, I write for two hours a day and I have a weird schedule where I work some days, some nights, some evenings. So, but I, even when I was injured, I made myself get up every day, get dressed, um, for the day. And if I was going to work, I'd go to work first. And then when I was done, I would write, or if I was working an afternoon shift, I would write until I went to work. Um, but I do, I'm involved in some writers groups and we have one that meets in the evening. So I try to channel Hemingway and make sure I have a cocktail or a beer or something there when I'm writing. Um, but I've noticed that you can't get too tipsy and write because then you're just like, <laughs> Um. So yeah, was there anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, I just want to encourage people to write their story. Uh, it may not be perfect. You may not be the best writer in the world and you may never want to promote it or sell it, but do it anyway, even if it's just journaling, um, that, that cognitive activity of writing something down. Everyone's got a story to tell either about themselves or someone else or something that they just have thought of. So I encourage people to write, um, even if you never finish, just do it. You've got something in there. You should tell it. What, so for a writer who wants to write their story, is it e easier to do first person to start out just and just write in first person? Or what are some tips to really get that story started? For me, when I'm working on generating ideas and working through my outline, um, my husband helps me with that too. I'm like, how could this, how could we do this? Or how, how could this happen? Um, I just, I think that the story lends itself to what it wants, the voice that it wants you to take. So you may have another idea, but when you start writing, I think that it becomes like, I didn't plan on writing something in first person and I didn't plan on writing something in third person. That's just the way the story wanted to be written. And that's something that I pointed out in the Stephen King story is that sometimes your characters don't do what they're supposed to. And sometimes you just have to, follow them to wherever it is they're going, even if they're misbehaving. Um, sometimes you have to follow the lead of your character when they're doing something that you hadn't planned. So although you're giving them all the actions, you're creating them with your words, they still lead, lead you somewhere? Sometimes. Um, you know, a book will or a story or whatever will take a direction that you hadn't intended. 
like the story that I've submitted, um, again, I had planned on it to be scary and horror, but it turned out to be funny and a little sad at the end, but I still wanted it to be humorous. And all of the places in the story that he's taken to are based on King novels, uh, different locations, different circumstances. So I wanted to pay homage to that and all of the books that I've enjoyed that were very meaningful to me. And then would, would, would you just like to plug your books and your titles and all your work you've been working on real quick? Um, so the book that's out there that I'm searching for an agent for is The Death of the Bachelor. That's the working title. Um, oftentimes they're changed upon discussions with your agent and editor. Uh, the second one is The Writer and the Wendigo. So it's um, a spirit that is hungry. And that also involves a lot of death. Um, uh, people at my writers group joke a lot with me about how I'm really happy to be killing people off in my stories. Um, then I have submitted uh, to various writing contests and I have one out with Northern Colorado writers right now, which is something that I never thought I would write. And it's very serious, very sad, um, poignant piece about forgiveness and uh, an adult child who is trying to work through the imminent death of her parent who had wronged her as a kid. Um, so it was sort of like a projected autobiography based on some events that happened to a friend of mine when we were young. Um, so those are the ones that I'm working on now. And then my next uh, novel that I'm plotting out as we speak is a continuation of the main character from The Death of a Bachelor who um, teams up with who she calls Officer Fucking Friendly because he's not. But at the end of the first book, uh, they come to an understanding. And so she feels like he owes her. So she demands that he take her as an intern. And uh, so I'm excited to see what she's going to be doing in that story. Wow, well, you're staying busy, good for you. Yeah. But since, this, since we're supposed to be in the Halloween spirit, do you have any good Halloween stories to share? Um, I'm actually, I have a contest on my writer's page on Facebook uh, based on creepy images. Because uh, there are some things that I just think are the creepiest thing, like an empty wheelchair rolling or a child's bicycle on the side of the road with no child. Um, so I, the contest is tell me your creepiest image and um, I will be writing a Halloween story based on what the voters decide is the creepiest one. And then I'll be sending that to the person who had the idea. Oh, that is awesome. Well, hey, good luck. Thank you so much for talking to me this morning. Yeah, thanks for, uh, this has been fun. This has been a good time. If you want to learn more about Off the Hook Arts, our arts alcove, or if you would be interested in submitting a piece to the Arts Alcove, check out our social media pages listed in the description below. Thank you so much for joining us today, and tune in next week for another Arts Alcove podcast.